0: Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. Today's episode is with Allie Talatnik, and she talks to us about her experience going from an assistant trainer to a head trainer with some struggles along the way, and why she is selflessly shifting her life to move to Nevada. Hope you enjoy. Stable Connections is sponsored by Love Is Rad. Love Is Rad was founded with a clear and simple prayer, bring more love into the world. Originally founded as an apparel brand, it quickly grew into teens' summer camps and women's weekend workshops with an emphasis on self love and self care. Find Love is Rad on Instagram at loveisrad.life. Stable Connections is sponsored by Equestrian Accounting. Equestrian Accounting is a virtual accounting firm providing bookkeeping and accounting solutions to boarding and training facilities, farriers, and equine service providers across the U.S. Equestrian Accounting was started with a desire to make an impact by helping equestrian professionals find their way to being profitable doing what they love while also giving them more time back with their horses and clients. They offer customized monthly packages from basic bookkeeping and reports to strategic cash management planning. They cover it all. Visit www.equestrianaccounting.co to schedule a free consultation call and be sure to mention Stable Connections on your call for a
1: discount on your first three months. I grew up in Seattle, Washington, a suburb just east of the city called Bellevue. And did you like it up there? Yes and no. The area that I grew up riding in was a very horse-friendly community, but I am not a fan of the rain, Uh, hence why I moved to California. Unfortunately, right now seems (laughs) to be very Seattle-esque. Yep,
0: definitely, we've had like, what, two weeks now? Flooding? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So when did you eventually move to California?
1: Slowly started my migration after high school, graduated in 2001, spent a few years in the Oregon area working for a couple people, and then took a job offer down here based out of Lodi area with a sales barn, which then naturally kind of segued me into finding a full-time assistance position in the East Bay and have made my home here ever since. Okay, and did you
0: know from a young age that horses were going to be your path? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have a job that
1: wasn't horses? After high school, during college, which I did not finish, I took about two years of prereq courses and one morning at about 7.30, I kind of came to the realization of why am I sitting here doing this? This is awful. Uh, I was supporting myself going to at that point point, I was working in a bank. So not a bad job, not a great job.
0: <laughs> it's not stimulating probably no. for a horse person. Not at all. <laughs> so your first move to California you said was East Bay? Yes. And did you
1: like it there? I did, based myself out of the Walnut Creek area. And so when I was much younger, when I moved and it was an entertaining, you know, younger people, good place to base off, to go hiking, good dining, bars, shopping, all that. No longer my cup of tea though. Yeah, understandable. So how long were you down there? I was in Walnut Creek for about 10 years and got to know the East Bay horse community very well. I worked for a few trainers down in that area and then about seven years ago decided to open my own business. And this last year I moved myself, relocated to the North Bay here, which I absolutely adore.
0: And what was it like starting your own business and what did you call it and all that?
1: Starting my own business was something I actually never intended to do. It just kind of fell into my lap and push came to shove. I was at a point in my career where I had had a very difficult time working for the person I was with and I was actually gonna go back to what I call the real world (laughs) and go back to being an amateur. Certain chain of events pushed me and all of a sudden i had my own little group of six horses which at to the height of my program i had 35 way too many yeah, that's a lot <laughs> that's a <laughs> lot of horses and i'd always wanted to teach and have the control and and craft things a certain way i like to teach a certain way i like to you know take my time with the horses the people and so being an assistant didn't leave me a lot of flexibility in that area. So I just jumped on it and I started Landmark Equestrian and here I am now. Yeah, you said around six or seven years ago?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. What do you feel like was the hardest thing when you started that?
1: Finding legitimacy from stepping from the assistant's role to your own program, and then attracting worthwhile clientele. Another struggle is also figuring out how to go and horse show because that's how you build your reputation. It's how you build your clientele base, but then also Finding somebody to take care of the animals at home and, you know, take care of the people's needs who are also paying you just as well, but you can't be in two places at once as hard as we try. Of course. And
0: just trusting the person that you do end up hiring. Correct. Too. So you've always done hunter jumpers, it sounds like. Yeah.
1: And do you do more jumpers or hunters or a mix? Uh, I have a mix in my program right now. My preference is the hunters. I rode a lot more jumpers when I was a kid and I was not a natural rider. I am a very, what I call manufactured rider. I was lucky in my later years to have some very good coaches who finally turned that light bulb on for me. And I think my strength as a professional has been I can teach because I didn't know how to do it naturally. And what keeps drawing me back to the hunters is the perfectionism and the grace and the beauty and having to be invisible not to say i don't love the jumpers it's fun and they both play into each other but my heart does lie in the hunters yeah the fine-tuning yes yeah Yeah, that beautiful flawless round is like nothing else yeah and did you while growing up did you kind of show the whole time yeah so my grandparents were into thoroughbreds and had racehorses from the time i was born And so I kind of grew up at the backside of Long Acres, which is no longer, and then Emerald Downs when that became a thing up there. started riding lessons, I wanna say unofficially at five, and then just kind of never looked back. I always wanted to keep riding. Finally got my own horse in fifth grade, and he was a disaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was too much horse. Promptly kicked down all the stalls, bolted away with me. Typical first horse. Typical first <laughs> horse. Um, and so then, with the guidance of a trainer, we found a wonderful quirky pony who taught me a lot. And gradually, you know, moved up from the backyard barn to the A circuit barn, and then on and from there.
0: On and on and on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cool. Do you still show yourself while teaching? I do. I have two of my own horses right now. I have my 18 year old. I jokingly call him the majestic meatball. (laughs) He's the love of my life. And my boyfriend knows this, (laughs) that everybody comes below Teddy. And he just turned 18 this year and we just do the derbies now. He gets to show maybe one class at the beginning of the week to get out and feel the ring. And then we come out and at his age, we'll still jump the high options, but he knows what he's doing. I'm the weak link in that relationship. And then I have a younger horse, Nemo, who I bought to be my bigger jumper and get me back into that ring. And we didn't quite mesh as well as I had hoped. And I was at a really frustrated point and I called my mentor in tears. I was like, I hate riding this horse. It's crushing me. I, I can't figure him out. And I was like, after this show, I'm gonna sell him. And my mentor agreed and I said, just for, For laughs, can we try him in an international derby? This is a horse from Europe who has never seen a flower in his life. (laughs) So that very show, we took him in a couple hunter classes beforehand and we did the international derby and I believe we ended up sixth, our first time out. How many Um, were there in it, do you remember? I don't. A good placing. Uh, it's a good placing there were more there were more than 12 yeah there Even were more, more than, than six, six. yes <laughs> and as he's gone and done more international derbies all of the sudden things are falling into place our relationship didn't end up where i had wanted it to be but we've rerouted and found how to communicate with each other and have a ton of fun with it so yeah and why do you think clients come to you i think a lot has to do with my ability to reconstruct my teaching style to fit whoever i'm speaking to everybody has a different learning style and whether it's visual hands-on i can arrange my words my exercises and break it down piece by piece and help the people to understand why certain things happen and how to change certain things to get a different result.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And do you feel like it's important as a
1: trainer to continue showing while your students are showing? Yes and no. I myself show to continue and further my education. I think there are some trainers out there that are so good and can not do it without having to step into that show ring, or, or who have earned the right to not have to. I myself, though, love to do it, and I like to always test my theories on myself. If. I can't do it, why can I not ask my students?
0: Yeah, yeah, living what you're teaching. Exactly. Cool, is there anything else while building your business that comes up either positive or negative or
1: struggle or inspiration that you wanna talk about? I definitely think some inspirations and, and thoughts is I like seeing the people who put in the hard work and I like seeing them succeed. I don't want to break other people down. And we all have that little green monster that makes us meh meh meh. More competitive. Competitive, yeah. yeah. And we all do it. It's not a good tool. And I've made it a point myself to, to stop that attitude. And I like to see people I respect and admire and consider my friends and colleagues do well. You know, I'm scaling back my business and rerouting in what I want to do and how I envision myself in the next one year, five years down the road. And a very good friend is just starting her journey of being her own head trainer now. And I wish, like, I give her all the tips and things that I wish people would have given me. I just want everybody to feel like they have somebody to fall back on.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair, and especially in the horse world and in the hunter-jumper world, it feels like there's your little nooks and everyone knows about everybody, but there's not much camaraderie between the barns. And so it'd be
1: really cool to see some camaraderie. Yeah, for, for sure. I don't feel there's a ton of camaraderie. People, like you said, they have their cliques, but beyond that, it's very, insular and everybody kind of just keeps to themselves or their own specific people, which is just disappointing because we could all help each other, learn from each other, support each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has the same goals in mind. Yeah. (laughs) And what was it like for you moving from the East Bay to the North Bay? And did a lot of clients come with you?
1: A lot of clients did come with me. Uh, Ironically, when I first moved to California, I had wanted to be in the North Bay. I love this area. I think Petaluma and the whole North Bay as a whole is just darling, much more relaxed than the East Bay. And it came down to what really facilitated the move was I wanted better for my horses. The facilities that are offered down in the East Bay aren't the most horse friendly and they can be very crowded. Um, And if you get ones where you're by yourself, they're subpar care. And it's, I was struggling to find a place that I could run my business the way I wanted to be able to either for getting stalls or arenas or teaching times quality feed etc and when I had the opportunity to move up here I mold mold on it because obviously when I made the move I knew I was going to lose quite a few people which I did which was fine it needed to happen but it the whole move up here was for bettering of my horses, their environment, bettering of my own education, and for my people to have access to my mentor on a regular basis. Uh, his name is Buddy Brown. He's been working with me now for three, almost four years. And he's been very influential in helping me push myself to be better than I thought I could be. That's what you want in a mentor. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And is your program more kids or adults? I would say it's a mix. It's 50-50. I enjoy teaching both groups. Uh, I love seeing the little kids just learning, you know, how to handle a brush and how to lead their ponies. I love watching the adults get to laugh and hang out and bond and then the good kids they keep you laughing all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, those tweens thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, definitely. And do you have any lesson horses or everyone has their own horses?
1: In my program everyone has their own horses. I did for a while do a riding Academy. It just became too much of a strain to try and balance the focused showing and training and then the lesson horses have to pay for themselves, which in this day and age is extremely expensive. And then without overworking the horse. And I never want to put the comfort of an animal before. So it just was something I phased out. And,
0: yeah, but you learn, I, it sounds yeah. like you tried it, didn't work. It's yeah. yeah, I feel like a lot of times with people's businesses like that, You try something, doesn't work, evolve with the times. And so what else within your program do you feel like if there's anything that you tried, it didn't really work and now it's formed?
1: Well, I would say I tried being too big. Uh, You know, you get to the point where people are like, oh, well, we need more people in the barn. And you always feel the pressure from barn owners to fill the stalls which as a trainer, you want to do that because you want to have the majority control over the place you're at, but it never really works out. At some point you end up trading dollars for dollars and you lose sight of the quality and having that hands on time with your horses and your people and always being running around. It felt like I was putting out fires instead of actually focusing on what I wanted.
0: Yeah. And that's when you had the 32 horses or whatever. Did you have an assistant at the time? I did.
1: Yes. And uh, she was a great assistant. She went out on maternity leave and made the choice to be a mother. Luckily, scaling my program back has allowed me to take most of the horses to a horse show at a time, only leaving a handful at home. So it'd be easy to pull in friends from the area who would pop by and ride the horse and then come in and teach a lesson on another day. So that's worked out to my advantage that way.
0: And do you do mostly West Coast shows?
1: Yes. When I was younger, I used to travel from Canada to Thermal to Arizona, anywhere and everywhere in between. And I got really tired of living out of my suitcase and I really wanna be more of a homebody now. I still love going to the horse shows, but it gets exhausting. It's kind of like Groundhog's Day, just somewhere slightly different. Same people, same horses, feels like same courses. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's nice now, instead of showing 40 weeks out of the year, showing maybe 11 or 12
0: yeah a little bit well and it sounds like similar to your program you're doing quality versus quantity with showing as well
1: yeah yeah that's what i would prefer to stay with (laughs)
0: yeah makes sense to me and i know there's some changes happening in your life do you want to talk about that
1: yeah so after goodness i can't even remember how long ago i moved here but uh a year ago my person my human he was hired in tahoe as a firefighter and we've been doing the long distance relationship and this winter, we spent some time together. I was able to take an extended period off and we made the choice that instead of him moving back here to California, that I would join him up in Nevada. He's been my rock through building my business, helping me with moves, my struggles, my successes, and Knowing how hard he's worked to thrive in his career and then seeing how valued he is already at his station and how much he loves it up there, I realized it was my time to return the favor.
0: That's very selfless of you.
1: (laughs) So are you gonna have a training program there? Not right away. Uh, I've got some freelance work lined up, a couple good friends in the area who've been begging me since they found out my boyfriend moved up there to come work for them and so I'll slow down for a little bit catch my breath find my center and then work my way back in but yeah, enjoy being a real person I want to go hiking and camping and boating and do normal things instead of for that exactly yes <laughs> yeah. cool.
0: how are you feeling in terms of this
1: major change for your life very bittersweet. I'm mourning a little bit for the fact that I have a lot of big hopes and inspirations and goals for this year, but I'm also excited for the fact that this is a new chapter for my life. It's been a very stressful last few years with the pandemic and as you grow, things become more and more stressful, and I didn't realize how much it had taken a toll on me mentally and physically. and so I'm really looking forward to working on myself a little bit more. but it's it's been a hard choice. It was something that i I thought long and hard and, and talked with a lot of different people about and arrived at the decision of you know it was the best for for me and for my life partner. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot of tears.
0: Yeah. Of course, the tears aren't bad.
1: No, they're I think not.
0: the tears are great actually yep. for us. It's a way to release. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you can always visit. I think that's the fun mm-hmm. part is you can yeah. visit anytime. Yes. So is there anything else that stands out in your story that you want to talk about?
1: Well, I guess I can say a little bit of another struggle and this is, very personal and I've seen it a lot in the horse world and people are becoming more comfortable talking about it, but professionals and our mental health, I don't think people realize how much pressure we are under. And as an assistant, you aren't really aware of how much pressure your boss is under. And that was something that was very eye-opening to me as I grew as a standalone professional and then with everything compounded with growing and the pandemic and moving it finally came to a point where i had to find help for myself it was no longer oh it's just i'm tired or oh it's just my Excus- my hormones yeah. no longer finding excuses like it was a oh wow i get it now i really need to check myself and looking at other people in my past and in my present and around me feeling that emotion and just realizing that wow I really I wish that people would understand a little bit more how we as a professional feel like we are always trying to please people and you know we want to do best by our horses and our clients but a lot of times we're taken advantage of and the scapegoat for a lot of people and we try to hold it back and it's not healthy.
0: Yeah, well, and I think a lot of times as entrepreneurs or as people running your own business, it's hard to ask for help because unfortunately to some, they feel like if you ask for help, it looks like weakness. Exactly. And I think that that's very common. So it's hard to actually get to a breaking point where you like genuinely have to.
1: Yeah, and admitting that To some of my very close peers was terrifying it was more anxiety inducing than admitting it to my doctors I have some very good close girlfriends who talked me through it and and you know helped me feel better about it and then Bringing it up to the people close to me, you're terrified. You're worried that they're gonna judge you for being weak or being vulnerable. And nobody wants to feel that way, but finally saying it and realizing it took a huge weight off. And I wish more people would feel comfortable as a professional, maybe not saying it to your peers, but definitely saying to yourself i need to either find a proper doctor a psychiatrist a psychologist something because it takes a support group for us we know it takes a support group to run a barn well who's gonna help run us i guess yeah Yeah, for sure yeah teams in
0: all aspects yeah (laughs) cool yeah I definitely agree i think I think it is really hard for people to ask for help but then once you do like the, so many doors open and then there's yeah. opportunity for actual change.
1: Yeah too. I was uh, I was very relieved to hear other people relate their stories to me as well and say you know if you need me give me a call or hey let's go let's talk or it just being vulnerable wasn't the wrong choice, but getting to the point of wanting to be vulnerable was terrifying. But now it's it's a huge weight off my shoulders and kind of a little more closeness to the people around me that have that have rallied and supported.
0: Yeah. yeah. And what are you going to do with your horses at home
1: if you're not going to be doing your own training program? Are you still going to show them and stuff? That's the that's the hope. You know, maybe not quite as much this year, just because. I want a little refresher and I'll be pretty busy. So if I get the chance, I'll bring them, but they'll be around, they'll be ridden, but maybe not quite as much in the show ring this year.
0: Yeah, cool. And is there anything within the hunter jumper world that you not necessarily wish would change, but that has evolved positively
1: or negative with the time you've been there? The first thing that springs to mind I wish there was a good grassroots effort. I'm not as familiar with the Western side or the dressage side of of operations, but thinking back to when I was a kid, there were a lot of quality shows that you could go and practice at that were inexpensive, where the jumps were safe, the footing was safe, the courses were safe, and it was an education. And now Barnes are so busy trying to make ends meet that you either have to sacrifice the quality of the show you go to, or you're coming in with a green horse or a green rider and you're going to the most expensive shows out there and it's not really a fair introduction. Yes, our sport is expensive. There's no way around it but I wish there was something for kids to be barn rats again. You know, sitting around rolling polos, cleaning tack. There is no rocks in arenas these days, but one of my first jobs as a kid during the summer is I would get dropped off at the barn at seven o'clock in the morning and get picked up at seven o'clock at night. And my barn owner would pay me $5 for each giant Homer bucket full of rocks out of the arena. And I mean, they were as heavy as I was, but you know, you five bucks. It. Yeah, it was, it was worth it even if it took me all day. Yeah. <laughs> but I wish there was a return a little bit to the barn rat and for people to have that experience like I had growing up.
0: Yeah, definitely. I do feel like there is less of that. And I'm not sure, do you have an idea of why that's
1: changed? I think because it's such a business now and everybody's looking to make money, and rightfully so. It costs a lot to live, it costs a lot to do this sport. But in the hunter jumper world especially, people don't volunteer their time. And to run a professional production, you have to pay the people who do it for a living, Then in turn, that increases the cost back to the exhibitors. So I know eventing can kind of get by a little less expensively because they have the volunteers, but we're not comparing apples to apples there. And so I think just everybody wanting champagne on a beer budget is, Mm -hmm. is partly why the hunter jumper industry is kicking itself a little bit.
0: That's an interesting analogy. (laughs) So let's go into the question. So what is something within the community that you wanna see evolve or change? And then how can you help with that change if you're not already?
1: Again, I think getting back to Maybe more community events, or there's a hunter jumper association here called NorCal Hunter Jumper. They do a lot for the community. I think there could be even more done. I think there could be organizations of other events that could be done. Learning, you know, they they do host a clinic at the end of every year, but. I would like to see other opportunities arise during the year that could teach kids more about the backside of the barn beyond just the, you know, get on, ride, leave. And USEF and USHJA are trying with these emerging athletes programs and Gold Star clinics to identify those people, but I feel like it's getting harder and harder to find the kids that want to do the work. And there are the kids that want to do the work and are hungry for it, but then they don't necessarily have the means to be recognized for it. So I wish there was a way for those people to be brought in and and given them some reward. If I had time, I would be happy to go, for example, teach at a pony club, like do pony club clinics and go back a little bit to the grassroots and offer a little bit more education. I think anybody can learn from from anybody. Sometimes it's wrong. But <laughs> you don't want to do? Yes, yeah. I've learned a lot. the best way to learn. Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of what not to do. And I've learned a lot that way. Mm-hmm but I think a lot of professionals could take a weekend out and volunteer or bring in a pony club and do something, find other ways to give back to the horse community to make it feel a little more inclusive. And I know a lot of trainers are afraid to let clientele mingle in case somebody wants to go there or vice versa. And I wish it wasn't that way.
0: Good answer so you get to ask me one question is there anything you want to ask me
1: yeah tell me about your involvement in the horse community thus.
0: so i have a very fancy excavalia pre mm-hmm. horse the touring circus show and i just trail ride with nice. him so i grew up from the age of like maybe seven until like 12 13 doing the hunter jumper mm-hmm. show circuit down in socal mm-hmm and then took a really long break over 10 years. I don't remember exactly how long, but a long break from horses, got into boys and other things instead. (laughs) And then I was working in a friend's warehouse with a subscription box company. And I was like, I need to, Year. Like I just had this weird inkling of like I need to be around horses again, yep. as we do as we <laughs> people. And so I found a local barn. I was actually living in Oregon at the time. Mm-hmm. Found a local barn, started teaching beginner lessons and summer camp and that sort of introductory thing again. Um, I did teaching for two years, not my thing. It was. I, I'm glad it's I tough. got back into it. It was a good way for me to remind myself of yeah. why we do what we do and different things. but. Then, yeah, I've been in it ever since that was my early 20s and I'm early 30s now, so it's been like a decade of being back and nice. not going anywhere else. Yeah. Now I just have this amazing PRE that just trail ride twice a week mm-hmm. when the weather's nice and it's perfect. It's what I want to do. Arena riding for me right now isn't really doing it for me. I love just walking out on the trails. Yeah. Hiking with my horse, those kind of things. Lovely. That's it. Cool. Well, thank you for chatting with me.
1: You're very welcome.
0: Hello again, and thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Stable Connections, the podcast. This is your host, Shauna Burke. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, don't forget to tune in every single Monday morning for a new episode. Follow along on Facebook and on Instagram. And if you or someone you know wants to sponsor an episode, please visit www.stableconnectionsthepodcast.com. Also, I wanted to mention whether you listen to all episodes or just this one, it really helps the episode if you share on your story, if you post, or if you leave a review on Facebook, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. See you next week.